Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown. I did a podcast the other day on my own, it didn't go too badly. Judging by the response, I'm going to give us another blast. It certainly helps with getting them out a little bit more promptly because obviously I'm not scheduling these around my guest. So thank you for all the downloads, likes and all that there. I'm going to talk about two things. I'll give my reaction to the Barcelona game. And also talk about, obviously, the uh, news of the Qatari interest in Manchester United and others. Of course, I'll give my view on the ethics, my my own position on it, uh, and how I think it will affect the football club, what a Qatari ownership of United will look like. I've got my kids running about in the background here, so forgive me if I get interrupted. Um, first of all, Barcelona game. Um, you know... I've said this before on the other podcast, uh, the Brantford game, I think, something broke inside the football club. And that was the moment everything changed. What has happened since then at United is absolutely astonishing. And I said this on Twitter, that Eric Ten Hag breathed life into a corpse. And he did. I mean, it's truly, truly unbelievable. We're sitting here mid-February. And honestly, I, I don't think even the most optimistic United fan would have believed we'd be sitting five points off the top. We'd be in a cup final. We would be in all four competitions. And the pride is back. It's not just that Ten Hag is the right man for Manchester United. He's getting the right results. It's the way he's doing it. Even the moments during the Solskjaer tenure. Yes, there were times when United were playing well. There was times United were second. There was times when I was optimistic. I was excited about what was happening. But it never felt like this. It didn't feel like you were on solid foundations. I was doing my talk sports segment last night and they were asking me what I felt would happen. And I said, you know, I've learned to trust this United team in big games. I do not believe we'll ever see a repeat of what happened at City, the 6-3. I think that was the final time we'll ever see a result like that under Ten Hag's tenure, under his leadership. He's just, one, too tactically smart to allow United to be dominated. And he has a solution to every problem. Every time someone makes a tactical adjustment in the game, he makes a tactical adjustment to counteract it. He knows how to get the best out of his players. I mean, I remember saying last season, going into big games, the only thing I would settle for, one thing I would settle for, the players being able to look us in the eye after the game. They couldn't do that. We had to deal with the ubiquitous social media apologies that were infuriating. We had to deal with so many things that were wrong. I mean, it, I felt really low at times as a United fan, don't get me wrong, so maybe I've got a bit of recency bias on this perhaps, but after that Brantford game, that may have been the apex of how, how low I felt as a United fan and how cynical I was towards the ownership of the football club, the people inside the football club, and my optimism. I mean, I, I remember when I felt when that Arnautovic thing came out in Rabio. I was I was furious, absolutely furious, and um, partly because of who Arnautovic was, of course, um, but the fact that they were, this was the solution to the problem, and I felt that Ten Hag was being badly let down. Um, if you told me then that you know would be in this situation, I just it would have been impossible to believe. There's no one would have believed that. I'm not even sure Ten Hag would have believed that. Certainly, no one at United would have believed that. Um, we also said in the podcast the other day about Ranić. I think it's be it's been a bit unfairly maligned. You know, I think in many ways him going public with a lot of the problems put United under enormous pressure to fix them because they couldn't turn around and say, "Oh, it's just a bunch of fans moaning on social media that don't really know what they're talking about." Um, 
I think in some sense he set in motion what we're seeing now. He couldn't breathe life into the corpse because he wasn't allowed to buy players. You know, the players knew he was on a short short leash and uh, he was going to be out in the summer. There was no incentive to play for them. But you look at this United team now. I mean, they 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 went to Barcelona like uh, you, you know Ali Foreman. You know, it was just punch for punch. Even when it went two two. The attitude of United players was on the front foot. You listen to Ten Hag before a game. He says everything United managers should. He projects confidence onto his players. You know, Dutch no, there's never an issue with the Dutch anyway. But you know, you know, he's asking I don't know what how it was broadcast in the UK, but it was broadcast here in the US. They were asking him, Are you gonna come out here and play counter-attacking football? I was like, No, we're gonna come out, we're gonna go on the front foot. I hate naive football, we're gonna attack, we're gonna play the Man United way. Uh, and he says that but he means that and he knows how to prepare you in training it, it, through the week to execute a game plan at the weekend uh i mean there's been just so many master strokes look short center back i mean who saw that no united manager thought of that united were playing with the right-footed center back for years Solskjaer wanted the left-footed center back in 2020 uh never got it you know they wanted one for a long long time Ten Hag puts Shaw in there, gets some of the best performances created of him. Uh, and in this United team, there is no United player with an excuse for not playing the top of their game. Even the excitement of young Garnacho, the excitement of Molassa. I thought Molassa had a really good game tonight against Barcelona. Uh, Fred was poor against um, Leeds at home. I thought he was excellent tonight. I thought he'd run his legs off. I think the energy that he brings in midfield makes him a nightmare to play against. He tracks runners, he gets back. He, yes, I know tactically he's not superb. He also looks a lot better in a team with Casemiro, as does everybody. You know, the the, the calmness that he brings to United. I know he's partly a fault for the second goal, but um, you know, the, he's a leader. And we have so many leaders. And I think United were missing, you know, Barcelona were missing Busquets, they were missing um, Dembele, but you know, we're missing Sabitzer, they were missing Lissandro Martinez, even Danny van de Beek, they were missing a number of players, no forward really, when Martial, big Veghorst, you know, he's a stopgap, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's not someone that's going to set the world on fire. And even in Veghorst, who would have thought of moving him back behind the front line? I mean, how many managers would come in and have that type of vision? You know, the standards that he set, and it wasn't just the players that were signed after Brantford, it was the fact that he went into the trenches with his players and got the respect immediately by doing that run, that infamous run with them, and immediately accepted responsibility. Wasn't just going to dig them out in the media, was going to take responsibility if he needed defeats in the current position. And, you know, the irony is, of course, United have now got it right on the pitch and are completely wrong, got it wrong off the pitch. We've had it in reverse for so long. Can you imagine where United would be if they had the money for a striker in January? I think they'd be right there. I think they'd be sitting neck and neck with City and Arsenal. The fact that they're five points off and we're even talking about a title race is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we had people telling us it was going to take three years before we'd see a Manchester United capable of competing again at the top. And you look at the current situation at Liverpool's in, they're almost in the situation United were in last season. And, and and the bad thing for them is no one's really showing significant interest in buying the football club. Obviously, they've been massively overshadowed by the Blazers, um, putting United up for sale. And look, 
we look at Manchester United from a purely emotional perspective, and that's correct. We are fans. We were there's a reason why I don't stand outside banks with scarves and support banks, financial institutions, because you know they're they're arid institutions. They're only their only measure of success is is their financial return, and of course that's exactly how the Glazers measured success. That's how they compensated their staff. That's how Richard Arnold and Edward were, despite having no success on the pitch, were the most highly paid executives in the league. You know, so they were success by successful by some metric, and of course that was financial, um, and that will tell you about what the you know the, the the Glazers, you know how they define success and what their intent was for Manchester United. We know that if you take the emotion out of it and look at it from a business perspective, I mean they took a billion, circa a billion out of the football club. They bought it with someone else's money. They're going to walk away with about five billion. They let Liverpool go first, and 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 you know sort of you know you know purging owners, potential buyers out, and making sure there was you know another football club for sale and basically stole their thunder. And so that brings me to the Qatari issue, an ethical issue, and I have to address this. I was an extremely vocal critic of the World Cup being in Qatar. Because they do believe that some things are more important than my entertainment, and one of those is human rights. And when there is an inextricable link between those um, predicating these laws on people that are absolutely abhorrent, make no mistake about that, um, then I think it should be brought into question. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things on this. Um, when I, when I my criticism of this, I, I mean it. I, I'm not just saying it for to, to be performative. I really think that um, it's unbelievably sad that um, this stuff gets brushed out. And but I think we have to be fair about it. Number one, I've seen a lot of articles about Manchester United are about to sell their soul. Their soul is up for sale. The soul of Manchester United does not belong to any owner. And one thing Manchester United fans have never had a problem with. Is criticizing their owners, whether it's Louis Edwards, Martin Edwards, whether it's protesting at, at Cheltenham at Cubic Expression with JP McManus and Magnia, whether it's going after the Glazers, something City fans have never been able to do, something that Newcastle fans have never been able to do, or PSG. Now, I understand why their football clubs were their success is directly responsible as a direct result of the investment of their owners. If their owners weren't there, those football clubs would not be successful in the way that they are right now. There's absolutely no question. United have had the opposite. United have been successful in spite of their owners. United don't need to be funded by a state-owned football club to be successful. There's nothing that Qataris could bring United that they haven't already had. City fans have no idea what it feels like to win a European Cup. PSG fans have no idea what it's like to win a European Cup. Newcastle have no idea what it's like to win a European Cup, but we do. So I can understand United fans saying, you know what, how exciting is it to get rid of the Glazers, to get rid of that parcel money, to be able to go into the transfer market, buy whoever you want. Of course that's great. But I would caution just a little bit, in my opinion, because I think after a while that becomes hard to nourish. After a while, when you get used to buying the world's best players, then what? You know, do United now do what Chelsea do, where Tarek Ten Hag loses complete control over recruitment? United are in the best position they've been in on the pitch, and it feels amazing. Um, and it's really hard to criticise because it's not state-funded. 
Um, you know, the, the, does it take part of the shine off United starting to win trophies? Well, of course, because you're also financially doped to the eyeballs. The, there's no sport merit in that. I don't care what you say. City and PSG uh, have lost something. PSG, PSG fans ratted at the end of the season. They just won the league. Wasn't enough. City couldn't fill their stadium after um, after winning the league. It wasn't enough. Now I have no doubt that if they won the European Cup, either one of them would feel amazing. But United fans already had that. And I want to win the European Cup. I want to win the league. I want to do all of that. No question about that. But I don't want to get bored. And I don't want to be sitting here three, four years from now going, meh. You know, it's sort of lost a bit of its luster. I don't want the Saudis change Newcastle's shirt colour. I don't want that happening to United. I want United to remain consistent with values, its culture and its history. I want to make sure there's always a pathway into the first team for the kids in the academy. I want to make sure that United aren't in Doha every year doing tours. You know, I want to make sure players aren't being rolled out to, you know, being used as pawns for awful people. But what I will say on this is it's completely unfair to hold United to a standard that nobody else is being held to. Football sold its soul, not Man United. Okay? Football is a wash with dirty money. Gazprom funded UEFA, right? Um, and everybody knew the source of that money. Right, Daxon Shinawatra was allowed to take over Manchester City. Now, if Daxon Shinawatra is in prison, I believe, or certainly went there, it was, was convicted of mass murder and human rights abuses. Unbelievable. Right, everybody knew the source of Abramovich's money. Everybody, you know, none of what happened last year when, when Russia invaded Ukraine came as a surprise. Everyone knew about Parastroika, everyone knew about. Some dodgy business dealings and his relationship with propinquity to to um, Vladimir Putin and all this stuff and Barazovsky and all this stuff. Everybody knew. Obviously, the libel laws in the UK make it really difficult to report on this. I get that. Um, Manchester City, for example, uh, the Manchester Evening News did not want to cover the Barry Battle trial. I assume. I mean, they they, they wouldn't send a court reporter reported on what happened. But they certainly, they were saying, this is what happened. That, that, that's, you know, they're not passing judgment on it. They're not, you know, writing scaling articles. And I assume that was partly to protect access. Right? There's been a quid pro quo between these big football clubs that are state owned by horrendous people for a long time. There's been a quid pro quo by the governing bodies, but with um, extremely unethical companies for a long, long time. Football just had a World Cup in Qatar. They were up to their neck in corruption in Brazil with with uh, with FIFA, uh, you know the whole bid process over the, the the Qatar World Cup. Look, you had Pablo Escobar owning football clubs in Colombia, right? Going back, you 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 you, you know the Argentina World Cup in '78 was on the back of a of a junta in the country in '74 in Chile. Pinochet executed Victor Yara and everyone else in the in in, in the football stadium. You know, there's, I mean, to then say that Manchester United's moral compass must be calibrated perfectly because football's integrity depends on it is totally insane. Totally insane. And this cannot be imposed on ethical grounds. It can be imposed on legal grounds. If you're going to turn around and say the Qataris cannot take over Manchester United, you have to have a legal basis for that. 
And that's going to be very hard for football to find because, like I said, I'm sure there would be lawsuits and everything else over this. It would be, and I don't see right now a Tory government denying Qatar's not just investment in Manchester United, but investment infrastructure in the city, a six billion pound investment, and in, you know, new stadium. You know, uh, they're talking about buying hotels. They're talking about you know investing in Manchester as a city. I, I just don't see any way. You can realistically oppose it as United fans. Of course, I don't want to see the football club owned by these people. And I don't think, for me, to feel great about Manchester United and to be excited about Manchester United, it's necessary to be owned by people like this. I don't oppose them simply because they're Qataris, because that would be, you know, definition of bigotry. You know, it all depends on the source of their money. Same reason if I don't oppose people because they're from Saudi Arabia, that would be the definition of bigotry. What I would also say is some of the um, issues related to LGBTQ rights and what have you in Qatar, um, you know, I have no doubt that some of it was motivated by bigotry, uh, some of the criticism. Remember, LGBTQ rights are a relatively new thing in the UK and in Europe. I mean, I, I, I still to this day, I mean, I grew up in a country that, uh, in, in Northern Ireland, that... Um, the Democratic Unionist Party, and I, 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 I'm not making any claims about identity or anything else, but they vilified people, still do, say they shouldn't be allowed to give blood. You know, lots of, you know, grew up with a Catholic church with a horrendous legacy in Ireland. They raped children. They, tra they trafficked children. They buried children in mass graves. They denied access to health care to women. Right? They put, put women in forced labour camps in my lifetime. Right? So these are all relatively new one rights for LGBTQ uh, individuals. And still to this day, I mean, in the US, we had, you're not allowed to be in the military if you're gay. You know, this is still a relatively new thing. I want to see human rights try, are, are more important to me than anything else. More important than religion, more important than anything. Okay, you do not get to tell a human being, and by the way, the biggest victim of Qatari lack of, uh, the, the, the lack of human rights in these countries are overwhelmingly Muslim people. So it's not Islamophobic, these are difficult topics to talk about. I will criticize any religion that feels it has a right to transcend human rights. It doesn't. Because I can turn around and say, my religion demands you give me your credit card details, and I demand you comply and respect that. Right? We've got this dickhead Tommy Robinson in Ireland spouting the same thing about respect our laws and come here and do what we tell you. You know, the Peruvians used to leave kids out on the Andes to freeze to death as a gift offering to the gods. I don't think we should respect that. I think that should be something that we should turn around and say, you do not get to do that to satisfy some religion or, 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 or whatever, because we can do this forever and we can slaughter each other forever, we can deprive each other of human rights forever and never make any human progress. So it should be brought into focus, but it shouldn't be, United should not be held to a standard any higher than what anyone else should be. And if you all, I mean, this would be, the, if that takeover was stopped, this would be the second takeover of Manchester United was stopped. The Monopolies and Mergers Commission, of course, stopped B Sky B because of the fear that United would financially dominate. Um, ideally, you know, you know, we're sitting here and I've said, there is no ethical billionaires, really. 
What does that tell you about billionaires? Maybe maybe we, we need to take a good hard look at ourselves in society and ask ourselves, are these people we really want to emulate? Maybe we should have laws in place that says if you win at the game of capitalism, that we should still have wealth redistribution. Sorry, my kid just was a total time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm someone that feels that uh, every human being has dignity. No human being should be living in poverty. Uh, billionaires hoard resources. Um, you know, we've had massive energy increases in bills in, in, across the world and, and tripled. And coincidentally, energy companies' uh, profits have tripled. That's unconscionable. I don't mean to get off target and, and, and be a political here, but you know, I think that we need to make sure that there's an economic floor that certain human that that human beings should not be falling through, in my opinion. And we could afford to do that. And I don't think it would blunt ambition or capitalism if we said you can make five billion, not twenty billion. You know, because I don't believe that the only motivation for innovation is profit. And I believe there's other motivations behind that. It's a hard thing to get right, I agree. But I think as people we need to do better. Which of course, you know, with the United um there's a certain inevitability that whoever does buy this football club will not be someone um that is an outstandingly ethical human being. Is it fair to ask United fans to make an, uh, a moral decision and say walk away or don't? Truthfully, United fans aren't the gatekeepers here. The gatekeepers are the authorities. Even Eddie High, when he was asked about working for Newcastle, it's a bit of an unfair question. Because if the authorities approve the takeover, whose job it is to vet these people, whose job it is to make sure they, they, they meet fit and proper tests, not Eddie High's job. And if the authorities turn around and say they've met all the requirements, is it fair to then say you need to make an ethical decision? I'm sitting with an iPhone on my desk. Now there's been plant oh got Nike shoes. I know for a fact that both of those products were made in sweatshops. There's been people throwing themselves off buildings to make an iPhone at a price point that I can afford. I still bought it. You know, so I know we're all flagrant hypocrites. But I what I love about Manchester United has nothing to do with who owns it. And that will continue to be the case. Whoever owns it. I don't want Elon Musk to own it because I think, and, I, and obviously it depends on where you, you line the political spectrum here, it depends on how you view him. But given the way he's run Twitter to put himself and his ego front and center, I don't think that would be good for United. Obviously an extremely intelligent guy. But the way he's run Twitter to put his ego front and center, is that really what we want at United? I don't think so. I, I mean, I've had really good information from December, probably, yeah, December, that uh, Qataris were interested. There's a lot I can't say because I've been asked not to. I would be surprised if the Qataris don't end up owning United. Uh, I think they not only want it more than anyone else, but are willing to pay more than anyone else. Now, there's been some discussion about potential parties holding back to wait to see where the Glazers are going to sell at and then enter the bidding rather than get into a bidding war and push the price up. 
I have no doubt that there are other interested parties. Uh, Manchester United are, um, uh, it's hard for me to describe how big they are now in the US. Uh, when I first came out here, spot in the United shirt, or even a Premier League shirt, was extremely rare. Now they're everywhere. They're in every school, every street. They're going, I, I, my, my son plays football. My nine year old, go to this practice and seven out of ten kids have got a Premier League shirt on. Not a Barcelona shirt, not a Real Madrid shirt, but a Premier League shirt. So obviously Americans can see the commercial value, the marketing value combined with their own teams that English Premier League clubs offer. Um, yes, the sporting culture here is different, but one thing Americans do get right that I think football need to really take a serious look at, and that's a salary cap. FFP is impotent. It has no legal teeth, and we'll probably see this with Man City. Big clubs are going to be reluctant to sign up to salary caps, and it's going to have to be placed properly when you have situations like Mancini being paid off the books. You know, well, salary caps are only as good as the reporting. Um, so, and this is one of the reasons why I feel that City need to be punished way beyond the fine, because when companies are breaking the law. And apologies if anyone's listening to my other podcast will hear this. But they usually factor this into the cost of doing business. Right, if we get caught, we'll get fined. Okay, well, it's a tax. It's the cost of doing business. You know, the, the benefit far outweighs the risk. This is why you have to do something more than just fine them. Uh, that, that doesn't compensate everyone else in the league. And nor is it fair to all the other clubs that have faced punitive measures for breaking FFPs. You know, La Liga has really struck the FFP rules. Um, I have to encourage that so anyway we will see what happens um, obviously a lot going on at the football club right now lots of changes happening uh, I think it will end up get being bought by Qataris um, I've been, I will continue to be critical of their human rights abuses we will see what happens <laughs> we will see what happens in the long term I'm going to go ahead and leave it there because my little daughter is hanging over my shoulder here um, <laughs> we'll see what happens at the end of this uh, my dog is yapping in the background too, starving. <laughs> but um, I, I, I think the football club is about to change. Um, and as as they were saying, they expect to be bought by April, which I've been saying for a long time. Like thought United would be bought by the end of the first quarter, and I still believe that is what will happen. So we will see what happens. All right, folks, leave it there. Thanks to you, all of you who follow me at Beyond the Pitch and at Malakans. I very, very much appreciate your downloads, likes, retweets, follows, everything. Appreciate all the fun on Twitter. Um, appreciate all the interaction. And apologies to anyone trying to get a hold of me. My DMs, it's probably the worst way to get a hold of me because they're literally filled with hundreds and hundreds of spam of people from all over the world asking me, you know, about who's who, who needed their sending and what's happening here. So I just never get to see the one that I actually want to see. So apologies if you DM me and I haven't get back to you. I will try to do so whenever I get time. Take it easy, folks. I hope you're all well. And I'll be back again later. I'll be back again on Monday. Take care.